How is everybody? Good. Good. Um, everyone says Greg did a really good job last week, right? Great guy. If you haven't met Greg yet, really, really good man. Um, and if you didn't notice I was gone, that kind of hurts my feelings. So, uh, but I was uh, out of the country last week, and I'm going to show, uh, I'm going to put a bunch of pictures together and <clears throat> just present. I'm going to take a whole weekend and... and um, just kind of tell you some stories, show you what I, I kind of encountered over there. And I want to put a plan together on how our church can help. It's not just a financial thing. That's, that's the easy side of it. I'm just trying to put together a game plan on how we can help this orphanage in Uganda that I spent some time at uh, last week. I do want to share one story with you. And a lot of you saw it on Facebook. Boy, it had a lot of shares and a lot of likes. But I've always believed in God's healing, but, but I've never seen it in the way I saw it over there. And let me, let me share this story with you. So um, you fly into an area called Entebbe, you drive about two hours up to the capital, stayed there for the first night, and then we went about two and a half hours out of the capital into an area called Jinja, and then an area called Kakira. Kind of neat, I stayed on Lake Victoria, which feeds into the Nile, which is just kind of neat to see that, and the crossover the Nile River, and it was really, really neat. But one day we're in this little bitty village uh, where the orphanage is, and very, very poverty-stricken. I mean, extremely, extremely poor, but the people are just fabulous there, just wonderful people. And um, we had gathered some money together, because our money goes a very long way there, and uh, gathered some money, and one day we got a bunch of bars of soap. The bars of soap come in, in bars like this, and they use them both for their clothes and for their bodies. And so we bought these huge bars of soap, and we'd cut them up into thirds and stack them up, and then we bought this huge bag of sugar, I mean a lot of sugar, bought this sugar, and put them into little Ziploc bags, and we were going to go to all the, uh, the widows, which is about half the community, a lot of widows, and we were going to go to all the widows' homes and just give them the soap, give them the sugar, ask them if they needed prayer for anything, or ask them if they needed to know Jesus. It's funny, in the States, if you ask if someone knows Jesus, you've like instantly lost the conversation, right? They're like, whoa, dude, back off. And there, if you ask if they need, you know, if they know Jesus, they're like, you know, no, tell me about them. And you're kind of caught off guard. You're like, oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. You know, and like, and then you, you share it with them. You know, it's very, very different. And so we're going around from home to home. I don't say door to door because most of the homes don't have doors on them. You know, and we're going around praying for people, talking with people, you know, making people, you know, laugh because, you know, I'm funny in Uganda, uh, going around and, and just <laughs> talking to people. And um, we come to this one older lady's home and she was laying on her side, kind of propping herself up. And, uh, I'm guessing she was in her 80s. Most of the older people don't. They don't know their age. And, uh, you know, of course, I, I made her chuckle at first. I'm like, you know, what are you, about 35, 36, you know? And, and uh, she was in her 80s. And, and um, we get to talking, and, and she didn't really want to talk to me. She was a Muslim woman. She made it very clear from the, the beginning of our conversation that she's Muslim. And, and, um, and so we just got to talk, and I gave her the soap and gave her the sugar and told her that we love her and that Jesus loves her and said, do you, do you know anything about Jesus? She said, no. And I said, well, you know, you say you're Muslim. Even Muhammad knows about Jesus, you know. And so I was joking around with her, and I started to tell her about Jesus, kind of starting from the beginning of the Bible and just kind of zipping through it real quick. And, and um, she stops me in the middle of this conversation, and she points at me. She's being a little, she's a little rude with me at first. And she goes, she goes, Allah has never healed my legs. I haven't walked in three years, and Allah will not heal my legs. She goes, will your God heal my legs? And without thinking, I was like, yeah, he can heal your legs. And then instantly in my mind, I'm like, gosh, you better heal her legs. You know, like, <laughs> just put it out there. 
And uh, I said, yeah, I believe he can heal your legs. And she just kind of thought for a second. She kind of looked down and without even thinking, you don't do this because you can get in trouble for this, right? But I just reached over and I put my, land, my hand right on her thigh, right where she kept rubbing her leg. And my two translators, one in Swahili, one in Luganda, and I said, just, okay, repeat after me, right? So I just went and I started praying for this woman. And uh, in my head, I'm praying for her out loud, but in my head, again, I'm like, God, please, please do something here. Prayed for and uh, nothing, nothing. My translators were kind of frustrated. I think she was, you know, she was just kind of quiet and I was frustrated. And I said, well, hey, thank you for your time. And, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again before I leave. And I got up and started to walk around, went to some other homes, prayed for a man who, uh, the water's very, very unhealthy over there. And prayed for a man who was laying on his side because he'd been defecating and urinating blood for weeks. And he was about to die. And his wife's crying and I'm praying for him and praying for his wife. And I go around to a couple of more widows' homes and talk to them and Anyways, I get back on the main road where kind of the market is, and uh, I'm walking, and all of a sudden I hear this woman yelling, Mazunga, Mazunga. That, that's, that's Ugandan for a uh, white person, right? And so I <laughs> hear this person yelling, Mazunga, Mazunga, Mazunga. And I, I stop, and I look, and I look down this hill, and this woman has gotten up and walked out of her home, and she goes, well, hold on. She, she, goes, she goes, Mazunga, and points to her legs. Yeah, and, and so my, uh, my jaw is like on the floor. I'm sitting there, and the translators were like, you going to go down there? And I'm like, yes. And so I, I go down there, and this woman grabs me by the arm, and she starts parading me around this village, and she's telling everyone that Jesus has healed her legs. And, and she's walking around, and then... <laughs> All of a sudden, my translators, they're like buckled over laughing at something, and all the villagers are laughing, and I'm like, everyone's laughing at the white guy. I'm like, what, what's, what's so funny? And my translator, his name's Amos, young guy, cool guy, he goes, uh, not only is she telling everyone Jesus healed her legs, she's telling everyone that you're her husband now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and at that point, I said, no, no, I've got my own Mazunga back home at this, and uh, She's just parading me around, man, and just showing me to everyone. Here's the neatest part about the story. Not only did God heal her legs, uh, she renounced her Muslim faith and believed in Jesus Christ as her Savior. That's the coolest part about that story. And uh, guys, I can't wait to show you a bunch of pictures and tell you a bunch of stories and um, see what we can do for those people there. They are beautiful, wonderful people. I asked the pastor there, he started 26 churches in that area. And uh, I said, how, you know, what's the murder rate? And he goes, we have no murder rate. So what's, you know, do people get raped or is there, you know, a lot of theft? And he goes, none of that, none of that. Beautiful people, wonderful people, very receptive to Jesus. And uh, it was great. I can't wait to tell you more about it. And that'll come in a couple of weeks and I'll share it with you. And, and then we'll see what we can do, okay, for that area. So um, anyways, we are in the book of Acts. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in Acts chapter 21, and if you weren't here, where we're at is a guy named Paul that we've been following for a long time. He's traveled all over Turkey, all over Greece. He's done three different missionary trips, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem. We find out in chapter one, he gets to Jerusalem, and at first, it looks like they kind of welcome him, but they, we kind of see that they don't welcome him very much back in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem think because of gossip and a lot of backbiting, they think that Paul is anti-Jew. 
He's anti-Jewish people, anti-Jewish customs and culture, that he's anti-Jewish religion, and they hate Paul. So much so that a riot broke out in Jerusalem. They beat Paul up. The Roman government finds out about it, and they shut this riot down. They take Paul, and Paul speaks Greek to the Romans, which kind of catches them off guard. They're like, whoa, you can speak Greek? And then he asks them, can I talk to the mob? And he speaks to the mob in Aramaic, their own language. And what we're going to see in chapter 22 is Paul is going to try to explain to them that he's not against the Jewish people, and he wants to share with them his story of how he started to follow Jesus. That's what chapter 22 is all about, okay? So what we're going to talk about today is this. Paul is about to face his biggest adversity in his life. And so we're going to ask ourselves today, when we face adversity, how do we respond to that? How do we deal with people that come against us and want to hurt us and wants to hurt our reputation? How do we respond to adversity, okay? So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Um, If you have a smartphone, the, the, the Experience Community app, if you download that and click on Sermon Notes, everything's there for you. If you have a Bible, we're in the fifth book of the New Testament. I'm going to read the whole 22nd, uh, 22nd chapter, and we'll break it down, and we'll see where God leads us, okay? I hope, we, hope you will, uh, you'll be encouraged today a little bit, all right? So let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. <sighs> Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, so much for for me uh, being able to come back and and teach at this church, and I love this church. God, I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears today. I pray that you strengthen us and encourage us today. pray that you bless every church in our community, God. Bless bless the churches that we uh, work with up in New England. Bless the the orphanage that we hope to start working with in, in Uganda. And Lord, thank you, God, just for all you've done for us, Lord. Open up our eyes today, Lord. Help us to see you more clearly. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, God, in your name, amen. Okay, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God just as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, what Paul is trying to do Paul is bloody, he is beaten, he wants to talk to them and show them that he's not anti-Jew, that in fact he was a very good, devout Jew, and because of that, it led him to being a follower of Jesus. Paul is essentially on trial in Acts chapter 22 for becoming a Christian. He is on trial for the gospel, okay? That's what this chapter is about. So he's going to tell him a little bit about himself. He says, look, I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I was raised in Jerusalem. I was raised and taught under a man named Gamaliel, who was one of the most famous and respected Pharisees and scholars of the law. Paul said he was an outsider. He was what was called a Hellenistic Jew. But he came into Jerusalem and worked very, very diligently 
to be accepted by the Orthodox Jews and to rise up in the ranks and to become a scholar himself in Jewish law and in Judaism. So he was trying to tell them, I'm a good Jew. I love the Jews. He also said, he said, I was once zealous like you're zealous, which means once upon a time, he was so zealous about being a Jew that he hated the Christians, that he fought against the people that believed in Jesus Christ to the point of even having one of them killed. Now, if you've been here for a while, the first person to ever die for the Christian faith was a man named Stephen. And it says when Stephen was being stoned, they would hand their coats to a young man named Saul. That's the apostle Paul. He was there for the death of the first Christian. So Paul said, my heritage, my education, my religious zeal is bigger than all of yours was. Like I was once the most zealous of all of you. But the difference between Paul and these people was he learned that his education and his heritage and his religious zeal did not save him. He learned that these things, not only did it not bring him to happiness and contentment, it actually brought him to hatred and murder. So all throughout Paul's teachings, including here, we are reminded that it is not religion that saves us. It is not human goodness that saves us. It is only faith and our relationship with Jesus that saves us. And Paul wanted to make that exceptionally clear. Now he's going to go into his testimony, okay, how he became a believer. He said, as I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed all around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you're persecuting. Now, those who were with me, they saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice that was speaking to me. I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you've been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me, and we went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. So here's the thing. As Paul retold the story of becoming a believer in Jesus, he's going to give us some details that, that are new to us as the reader. The first time we've heard these. Now, the first one seems small, but I, I think it's kind of a neat point. We didn't know the time of day that Jesus kind of knocked Paul on his butt. We didn't know that until right here. Paul says it was noontime. Now, what's important about that is, if you want to talk about a bright light, if it was pitch black in here and I turned on a flashlight and shined it in your eyes, that would be bright because it's so dark. Now, if I were to shine a flashlight at you in the middle of the day, it doesn't look that bright because you have the sun, right? So this light from heaven was so intensely bright that it outshone the sun at noon. This was an exceptionally bright light that knocked Paul off his horse, right, and got his attention. Now we'll see, for you Bible scholars in the room, if you go back and study Acts chapter 9, the account of, of, of Saul becoming Paul, we see that there are some differences between Acts chapter 22. It doesn't mean there's a problem with the Bible. 
doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it or there's some kind of contextual issue. That's not it. There was a different crowd, therefore a different emphasis on different parts of Paul's story. So there's not a problem here, different audiences, okay? But Paul's main objective was this. He wanted the crowd to know, listen, I was devout, uh, a very devout Jew. I was zealous for the culture of the Jews, and I had a revelation of who Jesus is because of the Jewish scriptures. So Paul not only wanted to communicate that Jesus was mentioned in the Old Testament. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Even as early as Genesis chapter 3, the mention of a Messiah is in the Old Testament. So Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. Paul said, look, this is the, 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 not only was he mentioned in the Old Testament, Paul said he's the same God as the Old Testament. The God that we've been worshiping, Jesus is that God. And he wanted to make that connection. Some more proof that he used is he said the first thing that he did when he went into the city is he met a man named Ananias, who was also a very devout Jewish man. Now, the reason that's important is Paul said, it's not just about me becoming a believer. Lots of Jews were becoming believers. This man, Ananias, was a devout Jew with a good reputation, and he became a follower of Jesus. So it's not just about me, Paul says. It's about a bunch of us, right? There's a big plan going on here, okay? So he continues to to share his story. Ananias said, said to Paul, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all the people for what you've seen and heard. And now why are you delaying? Get up. Be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul says, after I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw Jesus telling me, hurry up and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. Jesus said to Paul, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now that's going to be the word that's going to set this crowd off. I'll get to that here in a second. So when Paul was explaining his conversion... He uses a lot of Old Testament imagery. The reason why he used a lot of Old Testament imagery like righteous one and God of our ancestors is he wanted to make sure he connected the God of the Jews to Jesus. They are, in fact, one and the same. And that's the connection he wanted to bring with them. So he used this imagery. He also gives us another piece of new information. About three years after his conversion, he was still dedicated to the temple. He would go and he went into a trance where he had this conversation with God and God talked to him. Now, what's important about this is we see that just because Paul became a Christian didn't mean that he ditched all of his Jewish heritage. He held on to some of those traditions even though he knew that those traditions did not save him. Now, this is something that we struggle with. We're in a non-denominational church. We have a young church, a very open-minded church, and all of those things are good. 
That's what I want our church to be, open-minded and progressive in the fact that we're constantly moving forward and changing the way we do church in order to reach more people. But here's something that we need to be careful with. Though we know we aren't saved by tradition, not all traditions are bad. Though we know we're not saved by religious acts, not all religious acts are bad. I get a little offended sometimes. My, my in-laws are very good Catholics. I get a kick out of people who are just like, well, you know, I had a friend, he was Catholic, and then he came to know Jesus. I'm like, you know, Catholics can be saved too, right? You know what I mean? Like, they love Jesus too. And so sometimes we have a tendency to knock on Catholics. We have a tendency to knock on Lutherans or Baptists or Methodists or whatever the flavor is. And quite frankly, there's a, there's a, a huge variety of different kinds of churches because there's a huge variety of different kinds of people. And some traditions speak to other people in ways that maybe they don't speak to me or even to you. But one of my best Christian friends is, is Father Finley over at, at St. Patrick's Anglican Church. And there's a lot of religious things they do. Now, I don't think he's saved by those things, but they're important to him. And so I honor him in those things. So we need to be careful when we talk bad about people that pray the rosary or do the sign of the cross or believe in certain religious things. Now listen, we need to focus on the majors and we need to let the minors go, right? Because we're all trying to get to heaven and we need to work arm in arm with all kinds of Christians, okay? So we also see that when Paul was in the temple, he conversed with God. This is important. All throughout the Bible, we see that the leaders of the Christian faith, the leaders of, the, of, of, of following God, they had conversations with God. It wasn't just that they heard God say something or that they constantly talked to God. It was back and forth. I love in the Old Testament the conversations that Moses has with God, right? There are times Moses would go up on the mountain and he's just, he's done with the Jews, right? And Moses is like, God, can you like, like obliterate them? And God's like, chill, you know, chill out, Moses. There'd be other times Moses would go up there and God's like, I'm going to obliterate them. And Moses is like, God, please. <laughs> these interesting conversations, right? Isaiah had these kinds of conversations with God too. And we see that Paul also had these conversations. What we learn is that we're not just to pray to God. We need to listen to God too. We need to have times in our life where we're quiet. Sometimes we say we never hear from God, but it's probably because we don't shut up, you know? Like sometimes we just need to pray be quiet, and let God talk to us. Let God show us things. Here's the other thing. If God tells us something that he wants us to do, you don't have to worry about it because if God takes you somewhere, he's going to make sure that you have the ability to make it through that situation. So we need to trust him, right? So here's what's fascinating, guys. Up to this point, the mob was good. They're listening to his story, Oh, cool, Paul, you had a vision from God. They believed in visions. Wow, okay, Jesus and the God of the Old Testament, they're this, okay, right, we're following you. They're all about this, right? Until one word. He says that Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles. Now that set them off. What this exposes is the first century Jews were exceptionally racist. They didn't believe, they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that God would have concern for people that didn't look like him, like, like them. Their love of their culture and their love of their country was more important than their love for people. Now listen, guys, we live in a wonderful country, a wonderful country. You go spend some time in a third world country and then you come back here and you're like, we live in paradise. I mean, it is a wonderful place that we live. 
Here's what we have a tendency to do sometimes if we're not careful as Christians. We're very quick to say we love everyone, every color, right, every nationality, we love everyone until they start moving up here. Then we don't love them so much. We say we love every color until our white daughter starts dating that African-American man, and then we kind of find out that this racism starts building up in us a little bit, doesn't it? So we need to be very, very careful as Christians, because let me tell you why. God loves Mexicans as much as he loves you. God loves Africans as much as he loves you. He loves Canadians as much as he loves you. You know, he's God, he's good, right? So God loves all kinds of people just as much as he loves us. And if we start finding in the North American church that we are exclusive or that God only blesses us, or when we start finding ourselves being afraid of or even hating people that look differently or think differently than us, whenever we start finding ourselves feeling superior, we need to go back and we need to kind of check ourselves and humble ourselves a little bit because God loves all people, not just us, okay? All right. So they listened to him up to this point. They raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He shouldn't be allowed to live. That's not very ambiguous, is it? As they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with the scourge to discover the reason why they were shouting against him like this. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and who is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, Paul said. The commander replied, I bought my citizenship for a large amount of money. Paul said, I was born a citizen. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander was too alarmed when he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and had had him bound. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before the Sanhedrin. So this is fascinating. Look at this. They listened to Paul up to the point to where he said Gentiles, and then the speech comes to a screeching halt. Now this very quiet, almost accepting mob turns back into a vicious group of people who want to commit murder, Wipe this man off the face of the earth. Now, just a little side note. It is not a sin to get angry. All the men in the room are like, thank you, right? Like, it's not a sin to get angry. But the Bible says that we are to be slow to get angry. Not only are we to be slow to get angry, it's how we respond in our anger. We are not to sin when we get angry. So it's not a sin to be mad. It's just a sin on how we respond in that anger. Now, this group of people were mad. It said that they were flinging off their garments, dust is getting stirred up, and there's no big theological thing about that. They were so mad and out of control, they were about to rip Paul to shreds. 
So the commander grabs Paul, he's gonna take him to the barracks and he's gonna beat him. He's gonna beat him to interrogate him and find out why these people hated him so much. Now here's what we know about Paul. Paul had been through eight beatings up to this point. Five from the Jewish government, three times from the Roman government, but he had never been beaten like this. They were about to beat Paul like they beat Jesus. If you've ever seen the, uh, the Passion of the Christ, what the Romans would do, the Jews, when they would whip you, they would tie you down and whip you, but they would just whip you with a normal whip, right? Which, I mean, is bad. The Romans would tie pieces of bone and metal on their whips, so when they would whip you, it would stick into the flesh, and they would rip chunks of your flesh out, and they would beat you almost to near death. That's what was about to happen to Paul. So they tie him down, and right as the Roman centurion is about to whip his back, Paul pipes up and he says something very interesting. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, I'm just curious. Are you allowed to do this to a Roman citizen, especially a Roman citizen who hasn't been condemned of a crime? Now, at this point, the centurion was like, oh my God, what have we done? This is a Roman citizen. And so he goes back to his commander, his superior. The commander comes back and now the tables were turned. Not only had an injustice been done against Paul, it had been done by a centurion and by his superior. And so these men were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? And so the, the, the superior officer goes up and he says, are you a citizen? Paul says, yes, I am. And then the, the Roman uh, official says, I had to purchase my citizenship for a ton of money. And Paul goes, well, I was born into it, which leads us to believe that somewhere down Paul's lineage, his family had done a great favor for the Roman government, and they had given all of his lineage citizenship. So now this general was terrified. So his name was Claudius Lysias, and he decided to sit on this for a night. He didn't know what to do. So he, he let Paul go for the evening. He went and he found the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and he was going to get some advice. What in the heck do I do now, right? Now listen, this is the same group of people that condemned Jesus, that put the apostles on trial. This is the same group that had Stephen stoned at the hands of Paul, right? And now Paul is going to be on trial. Now, let me see if I can paint this picture well. We've been following Paul for a while now. He's been traveling for years and years and years, going all around, not the whole world, but a, a, a huge chunk of the world teaching the gospel and telling people, I will die for my faith. Now, all the things that Paul has taught, all the ideas that God has given Paul, all the times that Paul said he would do anything for his faith, now it's coming to a head. Now we're going to truly see, is Paul going to put his money where his mouth is? Now he is coming up against the biggest adversity that he's ever faced. Does he really believe everything he said? Of course, we're going to find out that he does. But this is the beginning of the end for Paul. His reputation is about to be shot. His life, his livelihood, his comforts, everything is about to be gone. And this is where, he's finds, this is where he finds himself. So before I get to the big question today that we're going to ask ourselves, let me first say this. We see from Paul that a true relationship with Jesus changes us. 
There are people in this room, I wish I had time to bring everyone up. I can look out and I can see some of you that I know your stories. Whenever we come into a relationship with Jesus, we're not the same. And if we are the same, something's wrong. It is transformative. And one of the things when God changes our lives, we learn that all the things that we thought that we've accomplished fall flat. All of our achievements, our heritage, our education, the things that we've done, we realize when we have a relationship with Jesus that we're not good apart from God, that it is only by God that we're anything. So what we do is we continue to grow in our relationship. And a lot of you know this. We start to adopt more of the ideals of God the teachings of Jesus, uh, something small like treat others as you want to be treated, right? That when we're changed by Jesus, we start to communicate that to others. Like when I was giving those women, you know, soap and sugar, why are you doing this? Because God loves me and I love you, you know? And we try to communicate that to other people. We try to share the, the thinkings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the way of life that God wants us to live in hopes that it will transform other people. Now, all this is good, right? Now, here's where it gets a little depressing at times. Though God transforms us and we do our best to love other people and honor other people and pour into other people, here's a very, very sad fact about Christianity. You will never get out of people what you put into them. That sounds depressing, doesn't it? But it's true. Jesus never gets out of us what, we pour, what he's poured into us. Is your kids, you know, we pour into our children and you never get out of your children what you put into your children. And it's like that with our relationships. You'll pour and you'll work and you'll do everything you can. Sometimes not only is it not reciprocated, if you do this whole Christian thing long enough, you will have people in your life that you have put years of blood and sweat and tears and energy into. And not only will they not return that, some of them will hate you. Some of them will ruin your, or try to ruin your reputation. Some of them will leave the first time you ever call them out on a sin or ever point at something in their life that maybe they need to change. They'll talk bad about you. Maybe they'll talk bad about your family. And so it's interesting, in these times, when maybe your job is on the line, your reputation is on the line, maybe your, your livelihood is on the line, Maybe every comfort you have is on the line. It's in those moments where we ask ourselves, how do we respond? Do we compromise? It's very easy, guys, when we build relationships and you call your brother or your sister out on maybe something sinful that they're doing, maybe a lifestyle that they've chosen or whatever the case may be, and they come back at you and they, they spew hatred at you, it's very easy to go, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I, you know, Maybe the Bible's fuzzy about that part, or maybe it's not that. It's very easy to, to, to compromise. It's also very easy to return in anger, right? Someone says something about you, you want to say something back. You want to defend yourself, and you want to put that person down, or man, maybe you want to shove them, or maybe you want to hit them, or whatever the case may be. You return in anger. Or maybe we just act out of fear, Man, I'll, I'll let you into to, to the insecurities of Corey Trimble. I'll teach something up here and I'll have maybe a family leave, right? Well, I don't agree with that. I'm leaving. And then, man, this seed gets planted in my head. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to come to church next week and no one's going to be there, right? You know, like everyone's going to leave. And I, this fear gets planted in me. 
So in these times, guys, and if you have not faced this kind of adversity, I give you my word, all of you will be tested. All of your faiths will be put to the fire. All of you will be spoken uh, poorly of, and you'll have to come to a place to where you're going to have to stand there and say, how do I act in this time? And it's in those moments, brothers, sisters, where we're going to have to stand up and say, even if it costs me my reputation, even if it costs me my livelihood, God forbid, even if it costs me my family and my friends, we have to ask ourselves, will we stand for what is right? Will we stand for our faith? Even if everyone else leaves, will we hold on to our relationship with Jesus Christ? This week when I put this lesson together, I didn't want to end on a, on a negative note or I didn't want you to walk out of here feeling defeated or like, you know, like, like, like all hell's going to come against you and you're going to fail. I don't, I don't want you to feel like that. And so I was praying Tuesday. I usually wrap up my lesson on Tuesday afternoon. And I'm praying on Tuesday, God, show me something. What, what do you want me to get from this? And I don't know why God sent me to this parable. One day, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not just heaven, like where we go and we live for eternity. The kingdom of heaven is our relationship with Jesus. It's our hope. It's our comfort. It's our salvation. It's everything. And I don't know why, and hopefully this will encourage some of you or strengthen some of you. But one time, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it and he got rid of everything else so he could go back and purchase that field and possess this treasure. Let me ask you, are you and I at a position right now to where if we had to give it all up, if everything was in the balance, our comforts, our name, our money, our job, whatever it is, would we get rid of it all just to make sure that we can hold on to our faith in Christ? Just to make sure that we can have that strong connection with our Creator, with our Father. I thought about this scripture and I had to ask myself would I sell it all? because I'm so excited about what I have in Jesus. Guys, it's easy to say yes until your reputation's on the line. It's easy to say yes until your job's on the line. It's easy to say yes until your comforts are taken away. Every single one of you will face a time in your life where you'll have to ask yourself the big question, do I value this more than everything else? And listen, before that time comes, I pray, I pray, I pray that you are so full of the Holy Spirit and so insulated by the Holy Spirit that you won't even think twice. That's my prayer for you. I hope that you're encouraged today. I hope that you're strengthened today. I hope that you remember that we hold the greatest treasure that can ever exist. Hold on to that.
because it will sustain you and it will be your eternity. All other things will pass away. But there's this treasure that we have to make sure that we give up everything else in order to, to, to keep that intact and close. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you're in this room and you are not a believer, you are not a Christian, I want to ask you, and I don't mean this in any bad way or rude way, I want to ask you if you're content. If you're in here and you don't believe in Christ, you don't follow Christ, are you fulfilled? Do you feel whole? Do you feel good? If not, I want to challenge you and encourage you to look for something else to maybe put yourself in a position to where you will give up the things that have not brought you fulfillment in pursuit of the thing that I believe will give you fulfillment, a relationship with God. If you're in this room and you are a Christian, you're one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, if your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, there are men and women up here at the front, good men and women. Why don't you let them pray for you? I think it's Galatians 6.1 says that we are to bear each other's burdens, that we are not to face adversity alone. You have brothers and sisters in the faith who are more than willing to walk with you. Please let someone pray for you. And it doesn't have to be these people. If you want to pray for each other in this room, if you feel the Lord telling you to reach over and lay your hand on someone, do it. You're not in this alone. I also want to pray for all of you that if you're not going through anything tough right now, I give you my word, you will. And when that time arises, I want you to know that you know that you know that you have a loving heavenly father that is with you and he loves you and he's not going to take you any place for you to fail. And if you will just trust on him and lean on him and be willing to give it all up for that treasure, God will take care of you. I give you my word. I give you my word. There's communion around this room. Everyone who asks Jesus to forgive them of their sins, everyone is welcome to take communion. The body and blood of Jesus represented in the bread and the juice. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, I don't know who's going through what in this room, but I know that everyone in this room will eventually hit a wall. I know that everyone in this room will eventually reach opposition and adversity, even to the point of hatred, even to the point of being physically threatened. I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you protect them. I pray, God, that they are excited about their faith. I pray, God, that they can cling to you with all they have, willing to let everything else go, God, for what they found in you. For anyone in this room who doesn't believe in you, God, I pray, Lord, that you touch their minds and their hearts. Show them, God. Lead them and direct them, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys very, very much. You're welcome to help yourself to prayer. Communion's all the way around you. Thank you, guys.